It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts... Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben Folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for the last 11 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, the UFC had a good card in London over the weekend. Tom Aspinall returned and reaffirmed his place, I guess you could say, as a top heavyweight prospect. Uh, it looked like the UFC tried to give Meatball Molly a winnable fight, and she did not win it. And plus, you had Paul Craig make a victorious debut down there in the middleweight division, which I think we will talk specifically about in our After Hours segment at the end of the show, exclusively for $20 patrons. But the fact is, it's UFC 291 Fight Week, so we're going to dedicate most of this show to talking about that event, which features Dustin Poirier versus Justin Gaethje in a rematch, Jan Blahovich welcoming Alex Pereira to light heavyweight, and then uh, we'll discuss the rest of the card as well. It looks like a good one. Before we get into all of that, though, uh, Ben, did you catch the UFC throwing Michael Venom Page up on the screen during this this fight night event? Obviously, we were over in England at the O2, so you got home country guy Michael Venom Page there. Uh, he recently declared that he is a free agent from Bellator, at least in his telling. Maybe Bellator just plum forgot to re-sign him, which seems like That'll a happen. bit of an oversight. Yeah. But there he is. He's in the crowd at the UFC. Uh, he's not signed, as far as we know, to the UFC yet. But I got to ask, because they wouldn't do this on, on accident. They would not do this by accident, put Michael Venom Page up there on the screen, right? You don't think so? You don't think they just he just wanders in? They go, oh hey, that guy looks familiar. Is that is that MVP? And somebody goes, yeah, that's MVP. Go ahead, throw him up on camera. I'm sure if this were three weeks ago and he was still under contract to Bellator, would have done the exact same thing. You don't think so? I don't know. It's a it's a crazy world out there. Anything could happen, I guess. But you had one of the Endeavor head honchos, I believe come out after this fight night event got asked about it and essentially said it would be interesting it would be interesting to have michael venom page under contract he might be a fun addition to the ufc roster so as we sit here on this monday unless it happened in the last hour or so when i haven't really checked my my twitter timeline or excuse me my x timeline uh 
it hasn't happened yet, but I don't know, man. The magic eight ball seems to be trending that way. At least we're, uh, seems like everybody's open to the possibility. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you said this last week, I believe we were over on a Patreon property over there. Michael Page is 36 years old, obviously had a long career with Bellator. His last fight in March of this year where he beat Goti Yamaguchi uh, via a leg kick TKO 26 seconds into the first round, if you remember that one. Uh, but you said this last week, if you're one of these relatively recognizable Bellator stars who comes over to the UFC, you got to kind of be careful about it. You got to kind of be careful about signing this contract because you might mess around and they might try to make an example out of you, right? They might, you could bring Michael Venom Page, 36 year old man over to the UFC and, and maybe publicly they're saying he could be a fun addition. You might sign that contract and fuck around and, and end up being out there, you know, fighting a Dagestani wrestler in your first fight uh, just to just to make an example out of you, basically. Yeah, you do need to at least be aware of that as a possibility, I think. You know how some people get in there, you get a baseball player with a no-trade clause in this contract, special clauses like that in the contract. If I'm coming over as a longtime Bellator guy and signing with the UFC, I want a no-magomed clause in my contract. <laughs> Offer me anybody you want, but if there is even a single magomed in his name, it's going to be a no from me, dog. Just put that in black and white so there's no misunderstandings. You know what that is? That's just good business sense. Yeah. Is all that is. That's just just smart. That's a smart uh that's a smart policy. Uh remember you're listening to the co-main event podcast proper. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries, but that's not all. You can find the co-main event, Ben Folks and myself all week over on Patreon. Hit us up at patreon.com slash co-main event and get loads of extra audio and video content as well as access to our official Discord message board. The coolest people in MMA are constantly chatting it up over there where the only rule is no assholes. If you're curious about the Patreon but you don't know whether or not it might be for you, you can now sign up for a seven-day free trial at the $5 level. If you've been wondering what it's like but you're not sure how it works or or what you might think of it, you can check it out for free now for seven days. We can only continue making this show, as we say every week, with support from our awesome listeners. So there you have it. Come party with us. We think it's the funnest, smartest, most welcoming group of men and women talking fights online. So head over to patreon.com slash co-main event and sign up to join the team. You can also support the show by buying some of our dope CME merchandise over at our merch shop. You'll find old favorites over there, like our original Dundasso t-shirt designs, the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes t-shirt. You can find a lot of new stuff like Are You Fucking Kidding Me shirts, uh, t-shirts for the dreaded MMA gods. We got the hottest seller on the market, the Bobby Knuckles t-shirt flying off the shelves over there. Uh, ben, couldn't help but notice over on mm -hmm. our video version of the show, which again, you can find on Patreon. Uh, are you wearing a Volcamania shirt right now? That's right, Chad. What you gonna do when Volcamania runs wild on you? Fucking nothing if you're a 145-pound man in the UFC because can't nobody do shit about it. And we're repping the man right here, Volcamania, for That's all right. the Volcamaniacs out there. Volcamania running wild over at the co-main event shop if you want a piece of that. 
head over there, comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says shop, and that'll get you the opportunity to look at our, our wares. As always, we partner with our friends at Superconductor on the shop. It's a brand and design studio. Uh, we can't recommend them highly enough for all of your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at Studio Superconductor. We got music this week from our guys Foreign Cash. Again, that's C A C H E in the word cash. They are an LA based production duo. If you like what you hear from them on the show, you can check out more of their stuff at foreigncash.bandcamp.com or at soundcloud.com slash foreigncash. Uh, we are really pleased to be able to share their music with you this week. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the co-main event podcast. In round number one, everybody wants to see Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje do it again, brother. But I admit, I had to laugh when I looked at the Wikipedia page this morning and saw the fight officially labeled as being, quote, for the vacant BMF title. Vacant, huh? Okay. Because that's not a thing, dude. We're just saying stuff. That's not a thing. BMF title, vacant or otherwise, not really a thing. And in round number two, in the UFC 291 co-main, Yanni Blackjacks welcomes Alex Pereira to light heavyweight. Heavyweight. This one could be a heater. And in round number three, it's the UFC's second $80 pay-per-view in 21 days. Looks like it's going to be a banger, and we'll talk about the rest of the card, but are people going to spend the money on this one? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail comes to us from Drama from Entourage. Okay, yeah, sure. We remember Johnny Drama. Yeah, did you watch Entourage? I watched enough. A little bit of it? Watch a little bit? A little bit. So a little bit. That show was on for a long ass time. Yeah, I didn't especially since this. it only had really one plot that they did over and over again, which is, oh no, his acting career might be done. No, just kidding. It's fine. <laughs> over uh, close and to over. 10 years. Close to 10 years for Entourage on uh, HBO. Drama from Entourage writes, well, 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 well. Tom Aspinall looked all right, didn't he? I guess all the worries over, quote, octagon rust and his knees were all for nothing. What did you think of his fight? And what did you think of his post-fight call-outs? Now, I can't tell if this is just a shot across the bow of the CME, but we did worry a little bit last week about how Tom Aspinall would fare coming back from so much time off after the uh, knee injury that he suffered in his fight early, really early in his fight against Curtis Blades back in July of last year. We worried about being confident on the repaired mm-hmm. wheel. We worried about cage rust. We worried how he would do against Marcin Tibera, which is not an easy fight in your return. Turns out Tommy Aspinall went out there and made it look damn easy. Ben Folks blasting Tibera with a series of punches and then uh, strikes on the ground, finishes it at 113 of the first round VK, via TKO referee stoppage. And you got to say, man, Tom Aspinall looked better than ever coming back after this injury. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I can't lie. When he stepped in to throw that elbow and then kind of stumbled, almost lost his balance, sort of stumbled backwards. There was a part of me that went, oh, no, your knee, your precious knee, Tom. Uh, but then, you know, regained his balance very quickly, landed that straight right hand to 
to put him down, and that was the beginning of the end there. So it turns out he's okay. Um, I mean, do I got to say it? Do I got to sit here and say it to you? That boy good? Yeah. That boy good, Chad. He, he's a, a big guy who just moves so well. And again, we get another fight where we're not exactly given a ton of footage to pour over here. But the footage we did see, he looks damn good. Just yeah. a heavyweight that can move like that, who has that kind of power but isn't wild, isn't loading up on stuff. That looks like a dangerous man. And we we also talked on Friday's Power Hour about where what's the heavyweight line going to look like? What's the, the order of importance at heavyweight? And it is going to be forever a what have you done for me lately sort of business. But you come out there in front of a home crowd, look real, real good, get it done in a minute and a half, basically. Uh, a lot of people are going to be fantasy matchmaking you against John Jones in their minds, you know? Yeah. Well, he comes out, he looks light on the feet. He immediately throws that body kick as if to say, check me out, I'm back, mm-hmm. the leg is fine. Not and scared then, to kick shit. Yeah, no, he's he looked great. He comes out. You know what I admire most of all kind of about this fight from Tom Aspinall is that punch that he landed to knock uh, Tybura down was just pinpoint accurate because Tybura yeah. did in fact have half of his guard up. He was yeah. covering up against the punch and Tom Aspinall pretty much threw that strike just to the outside of where Tybura was covered up and nailed him right on the corner of the jaw and knocked him down. That was an impressive shot from Tom Aspinall. You and I, we were up on a camping trip with a bunch of our friends and our families this weekend, and we were out of cell service. And the whole time we were joking about how the Tom Aspinall fight may have gone. And we kept saying like, oh, right now, are we lining Tom Aspinall up for a title shot? Or is everybody uh, wringing their hands over another freak injury for Tom Aspinall? And then you told me that at one point you wandered to a different part of the camp and you got just a just a glimmer of cell phone coverage. And you got a tweet. You saw a tweet, a single tweet from somebody who added you. And all it said was one thing. What did it say? It said, Tom Aspinall, that boy good. That boy good. And as you just said a couple minutes ago, he sure is. Uh, I also admired the callouts, man. You get up there and you say, I tell you what I'm going to do, brother, pretty much. Uh, I'm going out there to Paris and I'm going to beat Cyril Gaon and then I'm going to beat John Jones. Okay, yeah, pretty good, especially by the low expectations that heavyweight callouts have have inspired in all of us. So I'm more interested than ever, frankly, in Tom Aspinall and his place in the heavyweight division. If anything uh, might diminish his chances to get a title shot, I feel like you still need to have a lot of water flow underneath the bridge before we're talking about a next heavyweight title fight. First, we got to make sure that Johnny Jones and Stipe Miocic both get to the cage. Then we got to make sure that we have a definitive outcome in that fight. I guess a lot of people are just assuming it's going to be John Jones because yeah. Tom Aspinall is going to call him out. Just, you know, he's probably still going to be the champ, but we're talking months from now by the time John Jones, who is in fact threatening retirement in the wake of this Stipe Miocic fight, though you and I, I think are both on record calling bullshit on that. So just a lot of shit has to happen between now and when Tom Aspinall could, in theory, get that title shot. And as you said, it's a what have you done for me lately division. And that's not to say Sergey Pavlovich or Jailton Almeida or somebody like that could also do something really impressive between now and then. And, uh, 
and steal that title shot away from him. But as of right now, that boy good. Yeah, well, I mean, the good thing about going in there and getting done in 90 seconds or whatever it was is you probably got out kind of unscathed. And I'm just saying, if Stipe Miocic should happen to fall off a ladder at work, if a fire truck should happen to run over his foot, something like that, they need somebody to fill in. You can call Tom Aspinall and he ought to be ready, right? Like, I just, just stay in the gym. Stay in the gym. Stay away from that sheet cake. Stay ready because that is not at all out of the question that they could need somebody to fill in. And, man, don't you think a whole lot of people would get more excited if, as this fight neared, they went, oh, sorry, Stipe Miocic uh, accidentally touched fentanyl or something. He's out. Tom Aspinall in Aspinall Jones for the heavyweight title. I think a lot of people would be like, okay, hell yeah, let's go. Yeah. What if Stipe Miocic is packing his bags? He's about ready to head to the airport to fly out to fight John Jones and the fire alarm goes off. Mm-hmm. Does What if Stipe has to make the devil's choice between flying out to fight John Jones and running over to go down uh, the pole, slide down the pole, get on the truck and go save a kitten out of a tree? Or, uh, you know, help a family out of their burning house. What does he choose? What's that's, you know, what if he goes with the fire and then we need Tom Aspinall to step in? Anything could happen is what I'm trying to say. Anything could and in this sport kind of will happen. Yeah, usually does, especially at the heavyweight division. Next question this week comes to us from Backpack Boom Bap, who writes, what are your thoughts on corners sending fighters out to continue after they've been informed that their fighter is injured? I just finished watching Ashmoos versus Duncan and Ashmoos's corner basically sent a one-armed man out to fight while being down two rounds. Ashmoos got to the final bell, but all he did was soak up a lot of punishment, which could affect his career and his post-fight life. Uh, this this was an interesting one because Yanal Ashmoos really did hurt his arm pretty early, relatively early in this fight against Chris Duncan and was pretty much unable to use his left arm throughout the rest of the fight, unable to really even block punches with it. But up until that third round, he still looked like a very live dog. He still looked like a very capable guy. He was winging those right-handed shots. He was throwing spinning kicks. He looked like, you know, even though he wasn't at a hundred percent, he certainly had the puncher or kicker's chance to end this fight. And I wish that we would have gotten the opportunity to see the corner work between the second and third round, because when we yeah. came back for the third round, really all we had to go on was, uh, Brendan, uh, and Mike and, uh, uh, who's the third man in the booth over there? It was, uh, it was, uh, Paul Felder, Paul Felder. Yeah, you're right. We had their, their take on it to go on for that round, but, And it really sounded like they were kind of arguing, telling him, you know, throw combinations. And he was like, motherfucker, I can't even make a fist. Yeah. And I don't know if he wanted to go back out there or not. But I would say usually, usually it's a bad idea to send an injured fighter back out to continue fighting. Now, these corner people know their fighters. The coaches know their fighters. They know them much better than we do. So in this instance, if Ashmoos' corner wanted to send him back out for the third and he was willing to do it, I'm not always going to second guess them, but I would say as a general rule of thumb, don't send your fighter back out 
if he is seriously compromised and don't do it if he doesn't want to do it. Like any argument in the corner, I would think, wave it off. Well, I don't know if the argument in the corner based on what we heard was about whether to go back out there, but them saying like, hey, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you throwing combinations? He's like, because I'm down to one hand. How are you going to throw combinations with one? You kind of need two or more. And if, if that's what the argument is, whether then, hey, I don't want to fight anymore. And them saying, no, you get your ass off the stool and go fight him. That's Those are different things. I mean, right. it definitely was compromising, not only because you can't use that hand. Your opponent's not dumb. He's going to pick up on the, the fact that there's no right hands coming at him or anything. Um he also, at one point where he's clinched up against the cage, you can see he's thinking about posting on the mat with that hand and then going, mm, nope, I better not do that. So it compromises you in a bunch of different ways. I think that one of the things that the corner should be able to do is be the ones who can say, hey, we are down to too few weapons here. Let's save it for another day. Because the fighter can't say that. Even if he would like to say that, you know how people will do you in this sport if you say that. Even if you have a completely legitimate reason. If you're like, my hands broke, my arms broke, something like that. People will still give you shit for it. The corner should be the ones to say that for you. So that you can be the one being like, no, let me at him. Don't you dare stop this fight. And then being like, no, brother, we're going to protect you. Like... That should be one of the functions that they serve. Especially, I mean, he went out there. You could see him start the third round. He had a little bit of a head of steam. Like, he wasn't going out there like he is laying down or he's just trying to survive to the bell. But you're also, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're not in a great situation there at that point. And what is the the goal? Of, like, what's the point of going out there and getting punched in the face a whole bunch more times in a fight that you have just so many diminishing chances to win? Like, that... The corner should be kind of looking out for you and not bickering with the guy in between rounds about it. Yeah, he certainly looked willing in that third round. And so I think we have that to go on. You have also related a story in the past of Greg Jackson essentially telling you, like, look, if you get injured in training, you know, maybe maybe we'll stop the session. But the fight is a special time where we all yeah. have to make the agreement that we're going to do everything we can to win it. He is also uh, the corner man who at one point told George St. Pierre he was he didn't want to hear about his groin at UFC 200, I believe, when uh, George St. Pierre suffered a groin injury. And, uh, you know, Greg did not want to hear about it in the corner. I mean, big differences there are that, one, you don't need your groin to protect your head. You know, you don't if, you, if your groin gets hurt, it doesn't affect your ability to just, like, put up basic defense. And, two, George was winning that fight when he got hurt. So... Yeah. Kind of, kind of a different situation there. But yeah, uh, it is a tough line for, for corners to walk because you do have to think like, hey, we trained all this time for this fight. We're going to get a little banged up here and there. We have to push through it and do our best and then deal with the injuries afterwards. But there does come a point where it's like if you're, it's going to affect your ability to do the stuff you need to do in the fight, either like defensively or mount much of an offense, then that is when you should think about like we we want to have a career here, not just have the the moral victory of making it to the final bell in this one fight. Yeah. Uh, you know what the other uh, wild card is there is that you got fucking George St. Pierre. Yep. That always, always helps. It's always nice to have George St. Pierre in your quiver of tools. Just he doesn't he doesn't need a groin to go yeah. out there and beat somebody's GSP. That's why my advice to young fighters has always been, first of all, be George St. Pierre. 
yeah, it's a good good thing to be if you if you got it. Uh, next question this week comes to us from Isaac Spooner, who writes, "Boy, I'm sure glad the UFC took sponsors away from the fighters, so we wouldn't have any unprofessional looking logos in the cage." Manscaped want to see our new scrotum shaped logo? Uh, Do you see this? Because uh, Manscaped does in fact have a new logo that was on one of the corner posts this weekend at UFC Fight Night, and it is balls. <laughs> It it is balls. It does look like balls. It's uh it's an upside well, that's what down they do. heart I mean, of something, and it's uh, yeah, it's balls for sure. That's balls out there in the octagon. I mean, they're very clear about what it is they do, what it is they are offering you, and what they want you to do with it. So, I guess that makes sense for them. Also, like I mean, we've given up to any kind of pretense about that any of the UFC moves were about making the sport look cleaner and more professional, right? Because not only does UFC have 30 some logos plastered all over this thing, like a damn NASCAR, we got individual names. We're putting individual names that you could just pay for, put your name on the cage. Like that is some Ricky Bobby ass shit. And obviously we do not care about how it looks. We only care about making that sweet, sweet money. Yeah. Somewhere out there, someone is filling out their CME bingo card and they were just able to cross off. It is balls and some Ricky Bobby ass shit. Uh, Hopefully to get a bingo there. Next question this week comes to us from Nobert Buckles the third. He writes, how do we determine if a fighter is just good or if if the, how do we determine if a fighter is just good or if they are in that boy good territory? I assume it has to be a male fighter and it doesn't apply to Aaron Blanchfield, but I do think that girl good when she fights. Do they have to be youngish? Hence boy. I assume this scales by weight class, so a heavyweight can be damn near 40 and still be a boy. But mm. if a featherweight is 30, they're no longer in boy territory. How good do they have to be to enter TBG territory? A bunch of first round finishes sounds right to me. Maybe with a decision against someone who's ranked or hard to finish. Who's in TBG territory right now? Shavkat is obviously in, but how about Aspinall? Islam? Topuria? He asks. Well, Ben, we already answered part of this question, and that is Tom Aspinall. That boy, good. Uh, I'm going to fall back to the Supreme Court's definition of pornography here when we talk about that boy, good. (laughs) I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. I know Mm -hmm. that boy, good when I see it. I'll say this. I don't think you do age out of that boy, good. No, no, no. This is the MMA world. We'll call anybody a kid or a boy. Mm -hmm. doesn't even matter if they're older than you. You go out there and it's like, oh, it's a tough kid out there. He's five years older than you. He's still going to call him a kid. It's a tough kid. Stipe goes out there and knocks out John Jones. You think I'm not going to say that boy good? Because I'm going to say it. I'm yeah. going to feel right with myself. Yeah. I'll that say it with a clean man conscience. Good just doesn't have the same yeah. ring to it. Yeah. That middle-aged man good. No, come on. What are we doing? What about Aaron Blanchfield? That girl good? That girl good. Okay. That girl good for sure. Okay. That's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us right now. We're going to go ahead and get started with round number one.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Well, Ben, the first time Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje fought, it was April of 2018, the main event of a UFC on Fox card which puts it into a little bit perspective of how how far we've come since then. Dustin Poirier emerges with the third round, fourth round, excuse me, TKO victory, 33 seconds into the fourth. They won fight of the night, obviously. You don't don't put Dustin Poirier and Justin Gaethje in the cage together and they don't win fight of the night. They just do. They just win it. Uh, I don't think anybody is mad at the fact that that we're running this back. We're doing it in what could be a consensus title eliminator, number one contender sort of a thing up there at lightweight. Of course, uh, you've always got the specter of the Irish fella, Lumen. He decides to come back, wants another piece of DP, wants to get himself into a marketable fight with Justin Gaethje. Eh, you might tear up the plans and toss him in the rubbish bin. Uh, But this is going to be a good one. Now, whether or not what we needed to do was add the BMF title into the mix after we discussed it during some war room shit over there at the UFC uh, head front offices. But uh, I don't know, man. It's hard not to be excited for this one. You can take the BMF title folded up, put into a box as far as I'm concerned. I don't need an extra chip. I don't need a little bobble out there telling me to get excited for Poirier versus Gaethje. I'm already excited. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a lot of us were sitting around being like, for Christ's sake, how long is the BMF title going to sit vacant? It was a fun idea that the UFC sort of leaned into after it had been suggested. We had Nate Diaz and, and Jorge Masvidal fight for it. Then we immediately forgot about it. Like the UFC, people were like, okay, what next for the BMF title? How about these guys? This seems like a guy who ought to be in contention for BMF. And the UFC was just like, no dummies. That was just... Just for this one time, it was a fun thing that therefore we're never going to do again until we need to be able to put some gold on the poster and tell Salt Lake City that we're bringing them a title fight. So, fine. Here we go. Get the thing out of the supply closet in a completely different weight class. I do wish... I, I often feel like one of the worst things about being a fight fan is how much bullshit you are expected to swallow. How much time how how often you're expected to be straight up lied to by promoters and pretend it's fine actually. And a lot of fans are willing to do that. A lot of fans are willing to be like, "Okay, whatever the new reality the promoter has decided on, I'll go along with that." But couldn't we just be like, "Okay, hey, look. This BMF shit is just made up, but it's fun." And so we're just pulling it up. We're not going to try to tell you that it's vacant or anything or that it matters at all or does anything. Just 
two tough ass dudes gonna have a, a tough ass dude kind of fight and we we wanted to create some artificial stakes so we came up with this especially you could justify it when you look at these two guys because here you have in one of the most talent rich divisions in the UFC two guys who especially lately have really only lost to the best they both got these losses to Habib Nurmagomedov and to Charles Oliveira couple lightweight champions who are fucking good Everybody knows that. And also at the same time, we understand why you can't have these two guys just show up and fight for a lightweight title right now. However, could they have a fun-ass fight with each other? Sure. Sure they can. And that should be exactly what something like the BMF belt, some some sort of just made-up thing, should be used to shine a little bit of a special kind of spotlight. Because otherwise we'd always be sitting here being like, where does this put the winner in the lightweight ranks? You know? And I think, honestly, where it puts the winner is slightly better than the loser, ready to be called upon if we need somebody for a lightweight title fight in the near future. That's kind of it. Other than that, we are, with a fight like this, just capable of sitting back and enjoying it because you know they're going to give you a good time. Dustin Poirier is 34 years old. He's getting up there a little bit. Obviously, one of both of these guys, in fact, have been guys who have worked their way into being incredible fan favorites. Perhaps the arc was a little bit longer for Dustin Poirier. Justin Gaethje kind of came in the door from World Series of Fighting at the time as a bit of a fan favorite. Poirier is 4-1 uh, and one in his last five. As you mentioned, the loss was to Charles Oliveira in December of 2021. He most recently defeated Michael Chandler via rear naked choke in November of 2022. He hasn't fought since then. Two of those wins, by the way, of his four wins since losing to Habib are over Conor McGregor. And it felt like it took a while to get this matchup together for Dustin Poirier. He generally fights a little bit more frequently than what we're seeing here. Fought three times in 2021. This will be his first appearance of 2023. Uh, but, but he's been in a little bit of limbo, didn't really know who he was going to fight, didn't know if we were going to keep him around to just wait for uh, Conor McGregor. But the fact is he's lost two UFC title fights. You know, he's uh, he lost to Habib back when Dustin Poirier was, in fact, the interim lightweight champion after he re- reminded us why they have weight classes in his defeat of Max Holloway back in those days. And he, he lost again to Charles Oliveira, which we have mentioned. Is he a fitting number one contender? He's a slight favorite right now against Justin Gaethje. He's minus 145. Justin Gaethje is plus 125. DP wins this. Are you like, yeah, go ahead and give him Islam Mahachev? Yeah, I think so. Because what else would you have him do? Just sit around and try to knock off more contenders? I, and... It's not like you'd need any more sort of accomplishments to to burnish his credentials for the fans. People like Dustin Poirier. They'd be excited to see him fight for another title. Uh, I, I think you could go ahead and do it here. I also think that, you know, I'm interested to see how this one goes, especially in comparison to where they fought, you know, five years ago. Because in my mind, Dustin Poirier is the more improved and complete fighter since then. You know, just from what we've seen from both guys. Like Justin Gaethje, obviously... Good fighter, super tough guy, super dangerous guy. But it seems to me like if the years have added more patience and veteran savvy and a, just a little bit deeper of a toolbox for anybody, it's probably Dustin Poirier. And 
you know, in terms of just like his entire game and mentally what he brings to to the fights, I think that he seems like he he ought to win this one. He ought to be able to be the smarter fighter and figure Justin Gaethje out. And, you know, you could always get starched with a bomb from Justin Gaethje, but I think I, I like Dustin Poirier's chances in this. And if he goes out there and shows that, then I think you have like a, a fitting challenge for somebody like Islam Mahachev. Justin Gaethje, also 34 years old. Now, he is just 2-2 two and two in his last four, although that is a bit misleading. He's actually 6-2 and two in his last eight. And the only guys who have ever beat him in his pro career are Habib Nurmagomedov, Charles Oliveira, Eddie Alvarez, and Dustin Poirier. So you still got to be pretty good to beat Justin Gaethje. Remember, they kind of tried to maybe make him a bit of a measuring stick fighter in his last appearance. They threw him out there with Rafael Fazeev, as yeah. if to say maybe we're going to get Fazeev over here. We're going to uh, we're gonna show everybody how good he is. And Justin Gaethje was kind of like not so fast, ends up winning a majority decision over Rafael Fazeev. That one was also over in London, uh, coincidentally enough. But I don't know. Can you, can you make, I guess Justin Gaethje, is, you can always make him the number one contender, but can you make a guy a number one contender for Islam Mahachev when he's two and two in his last four? I mean, if that guy were able to go out there and knock out Dustin Poirier, you could. You know, but yeah. even if that guy were able to go out there and win a decision over Dustin Poirier, it was a fun ass fight. Like that's that's the nice thing about a fight like this is that, you know, honestly, I think for Justin Gaethje, a win over Poirier at this point would mean more than it, for Poirier, a win over Gaethje. Just because yeah. one thing, he already has one win over him and that we kind of expect Dustin Poirier to win this kind of a fight, whereas Justin Gaethje he feels like he's been teetering on that territory of are we done with the best of Justin Gaethje's career yet? And he's even sort of talked about it, that he knows he doesn't have a whole lot of time left, especially the way he fights. It's not like he's out there pursuing it as a, as a guy who really seems to be considering longevity too much. And that's part of what we love about him. But if he could go out there, if he could beat Dustin Poirier, that shows like he's not done yet. You know, that would be a big win for him. Yeah, I tend to agree with you that if we get ourselves into a full-on mixed martial arts fight here. Dustin Poirier probably outduels Justin Gaethje. However, Justin Gaethje got that power, and these are all these are both guys that if they hear the music, they're going to dance. Yep. So there, there's really no telling what happens when they go out there and and you know start exchanging fisticuffs out there in the cage. You can you can talk Dustin Poirier into a bad idea when it comes to fighting another man in a cage, and so we'll we'll see we'll see what happens here. Yep. All right, let's 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 do Are You Fucking Kidding Me, Ben, and then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me this week? Jed, uh, did you happen to hear about what went down at Misfits Boxing? I mean, I guess when you ask me that question, my answer is which one, which thing that went down at Misfits Boxing 8? I'm just going to read you a headline from uh, Anton Tobena's story over on Bloody Arrow Elbow where it says, quote, Welcome to America. Alex Stein throws pork, that's in quotes, at Muslim opponent banned from Misfits Boxing 8. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is where the guy had to come out after and be like, don't worry, dog, it was just turkey hot dogs. Yeah. Right? So he goes out there, threw a bucket of hot dogs at his opponent, Modine, who is a Muslim, says, I brought you a little gift since I knew you love hot dogs. You love pork, right? And throws these hot dogs at him. Um, then 
you know, remember the, the, the old Chappelle show sketch about when keeping it real goes wrong. This is kind of what happens to this guy here because he's pulling off this stunt here thinking that he's being, you know, hilarious edge Lord pushing the buttons and all whatnot. Then, you know, we get this tweet where Misfits Boxing says, Alex Stein has been removed from Saturday's Misfits Boxing after disgracefully throwing hot dogs at Muslim opponent Mo Dean and saying, you love pork, right? I think those are halal. He since claimed their turkey has been removed regardless. Um, he then shares on social media the termination of his contract. <laughs> I do love kind of the wording of it here. Dear Mr. Stein, at the press conference today, you threw sausages that were believed to be pork meat at Mr. Muhammad Kuba, a.k.a. Modine, your scheduled opponent, causing a fight between Mr. Kuba and yourself. This fight caused the destruction of the press conference stage. How dare they destroy the press conference stage? You put the name and reputation of Misfits Boxing, its shareholders, and its partners into disrepute. <laughs> Oh, I hope whoever wrote that uh, at one point graduated from journalism school. I had their whole world and their lives in front of them. Now, here they are. They're writing press releases about right-wing YouTube stars throwing hot dogs at people at a press conference. So, first of all, are you fucking kidding me? You thought you were going to be a real funny guy, really pushing the envelope out there, and you ended up just working yourself right out of a fight. Working yourself right out of the contract. So that's an are you fucking kidding me? Also, are you fucking kidding me? How big of a shithead do you have to be where a promotion by the name of Misfits Boxing accuses you of sullying their good name? Yeah. Putting it into disrepute. (laughs) Are you fucking kidding me? Uh, It is a sad commentary on the world today when Misfits Boxing 8 has to draw a line in the sand for good taste and uh, anti-racist action. Who knew Misfits Boxing would stand up for what was right? Just I, Also, if, in case uh, you're, wor- you're wondering if he's showing contrition afterwards, quote, I'm not sorry for my actions, but I am sorry to all the people that wanted to watch the fight, Stein wrote. Great. Fucking kidding me. Really great. Uh, ben, you might have seen this. I don't know if you did or not. I got to shout out our guy, uh, noted patron Cody Bernston for uh, pulling my coat to what is happening. This is going down, uh, coming up in October. Have you seen, you remember uh, Mike Jackson, right? Yeah. Fought CM Punk oh, yeah. in the UFC. Have you seen this, who he's fighting? Have you seen? Uh, yes, I have. Yes, I next have. fight is coming up. I, I feel like I got to give uh, people a hint if you haven't, if you haven't heard. Uh, this one going down over there in Davenport, Iowa. If that starts to paint a picture for you, maybe you start to get an idea who might be involved. Ben Folks, Pat Militich is going to go out there and fight Mike Jackson at uh, Caged Aggression 36 Bad Blood. It is a special two-night event at the River Center, the granddaddy of them all over there in Davenport, Iowa. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me that this is what we're doing? Pat Militich is 55 years old. 55 years old. A great champion in his day. A guy who was ahead of his time, ahead of the curve in terms of MMA development. A terrific, terrific champion. 
I don't know, man, 55 years old and can't count out the possibility that he might win. Can't count out the possibility that he might be beating Mike Jackson at the end of the night. You fucking kidding me? You fucking kidding me with this shit? I would like to point out that on the MMA fighting story about it, it says that the bout is being billed as, quote, a highly anticipated and controversial battle of skill, age, and ideology. Wow. Okay. I mean, I guess that makes sense. I don't know why we keep got to doing this stuff. Keep got to keep uh, keep bringing the culture wars over to just the hand-to-hand combat wars. Not sure why we got to do that, but, uh, but these guys are going to fight, and uh, it'll be, according to Nolan King, it'll be a fully sanctioned pro MMA bout, three five-minute rounds. But you know what? When you got to make that clear, when you got to yeah. You gotta be like, no, no, you guys. It's a real MMA fight, three five minute rounds, a sanctioned pro fight. Maybe that's a little clue. Maybe that's yeah. a clue to you, both as a promoter, promoter, and as fans, that what you're about to see probably shouldn't be happening. You, you have me? you have admitted something when you have to kind of proactively tell everybody that this shit is actually on the level and legit and for real. Yeah, telling on yourself. You fucking kidding me. All right, that's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back with round number two. Well, Chad, in the co-main event of UFC 291, Jan Blahovich is going to try to pull off the same trick twice. By which I mean taking on a former UFC middleweight champion and showing him that they have these motherfucking weight classes for a reason. This time, he takes on Alex Pereira, who, after losing his title to Israel Adesanya in April, has decided, you know what, he just his body ain't really up for the weight cuts anymore. He's going to go ahead and move up 20 whole ass pounds to the 205-pound division, where he draws Jan Blahovich first. And Yanni Blackjacks has some experience with really this exact kind of matchup in a lot of ways. He faced Israel Adesanya, he, he pressured him a lot, used his wrestling, and manages to, to, to work out a decision there. Do you think that you're just going to be looking at the same thing against Alex Pereira, who, let's face it, has really gotten pretty far in the UFC middleweight division, in part by being bigger than everybody he fought. Yeah. You know, we talked about in round number one how excited everybody is for Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, and I think for good reason. I would argue this fight, the co-main event here, is uh, perhaps even more interesting. And on a, a, a fight card that is full of what you might call special attractions that we'll coming up, call, talk about coming up in round number three, this to me is kind of the people's main event because I'm really interested in seeing how Alex Pereira will fare moving up to 205 pounds. Now the question of whether or not it's the same assignment as, as he got as Yanni blackjacks got when he fought Israel Adesanya uh, in terms of a matchup of styles and on paper. Yeah, I think so. But we all know that Alex Pereira is a fucking giant. 
a huge man for 185 pounds, not even sure how he made that weight. We have seen, you know, one of the things, one of the uh, the memes that the CME likes the most is pictures of Alex Pereira looking huge. Mm-hmm. We have seen him standing next to light heavyweights looking huge. We have seen him standing next to UFC heavyweights looking huge. I imagine he will show up looking huge when he fights Jan Blahovich. He's got that power in his hands. If you don't believe me, just ask Sean Strickland. He could win this, and he may, in fact, prove to be a tougher physical test just in terms of uh, size and strength and physicality than Israel Adesanya was for Jan Blahovich. But if I'm in Jan Blahovich's corner, I'm basically telling him, same shit, different day. Let's let's get some takedowns. Let's stay on top. Let's win this thing. That is the strategy, I think, for Blahovich. Yeah. I mean, if I am in Blahovich's corner, I'm being like, did you see how Israel Adesanya took this dude down and he couldn't do a whole lot about it. Now you could take Israel Adesanya down and he couldn't do a whole lot about it at times. So like, how about that? How about we just lean on that? Let's not go in there and play kickboxing with this dude. That's the absolute last thing you want to do. Let's get him down there. Let's wear on him. Let's make him tired. Let's use that grounded pound. And uh, either we're going to wear him down and, work out a decision that way or we're going to wear him down and look for a submission later in the fight that way like i would think that that's got to be the game plan here against alex Pereira, just because what we've seen from him so far suggests that still the wrestling is a big question mark and if you have to go up and fight against guys where you do not have a massive size advantage anymore then that seems like those two things together you add them up they ought to be in jan blahovich's favor the other thing though is that you know Yanni Blackjacks is no spring chicken. He's he's getting up there in years. He's not exactly the most like explosive athlete that the UFC light heavyweight division has. He's he's you might call him a, a crafty old dog at the age of forty at this point. And as far as just like physical specimens, Alex Pereira seems like he looks better getting off the bus. He could do some stuff. He's a dangerous man still. You, you, if you go in there and you're a step too slow. That guy is going to find your chin. You're going to be in some trouble. So it is kind of a tough one to call. and But also, like in a lot of ways, a very, very interesting first test at light heavyweight for Alex Pereira. Yeah. I mean, odds makers are calling it basically a push. Sean Blahovich, just a very slight favorite as I'm looking at it here on DraftKings. He is minus 120 as compared to Alex Pereira's minus 110. I mean, you're right. It is an interesting test. For Alex Pereira, and it is also his opportunity to immediately become a 205-pound contender. Because if you beat Jan Blahovich, you, that's basically, you know, you defeating one of the number one contenders in this division. The last time he fought was for the vacant UFC light heavyweight championship. He is the former champion himself, uh, and if not for that draw against Magomed Ankalaev, he might be the champion right now. So yeah. He shapes up as a big test for Alex Pereira, but if it's one that you can get through, then you've just minted yourself as an automatic title contender in this new division. And when you can add to that with what you have already done at middleweight and the scary shit that we have seen you do down there, you immediately become one of the top attractions in this uh, weight class. So I kind of love it for both guys, honestly. You know, it's going to be a big deal for Blahovich if he can beat Alex Pereira, and it's going to be an even bigger deal for Alex Pereira if he can beat Jan Blahovich. Yeah. And, you know, 
a good time to win a fight like this is when everybody else who has had their hands on the UFC light heavyweight strap lately can't seem to keep their ligaments attached to their body. Yeah. Pretty good time to show up and win a big fight at 205 pounds. Yeah, we just very recently had to have the whether or not we should shut it down conversation here. What with Jamal Hill giving up the title after blowing out his Achilles during a basketball game. Uh, Yuri Prohaska uh, doesn't necessarily seem like he is ready to go tomorrow, although he was supposed to fight Jamal Hill coming up sometime this year. He wants to know who's next. Frankly, you could do a lot worse than to have Alex Pereira suddenly show up on the scene as you know, a guy who has a track record of being a murderer and is also, uh, technically speaking, some new blood at 205 pounds. You could do a lot worse than to have him make his debut in this division at a time when uh, when we need a guy, when they, when there's no real focal point in the division, uh, with apologies to Prohaska, who otherwise would be the focal point, if not for the worst shoulder injury in the history of shoulders. Uh, but Alex Pereira, like, you know, marketable guy, looks great getting off the bus, does nasty things to people in the cage. He seems like he would immediately maybe be the biggest attraction in the division if he beats Jan Blahovich. There's going to be a lot of light heavyweights that are watching this fight real close, just trying to get an answer to, can the guy stop a double leg? Can the yeah. guy stay upright? If he does get put on his back, can he get up on his own? There's a lot of people who are already thinking like, hey, uh, I, I know my way around some takedowns if I have to end up fighting that guy. But he's going to have to prove it after the last time we saw him in there getting taken down by Israel Adesanya. Now, you know how Jan Blahovich, uh, he liked to use the Polish power. Oh, yeah, of course. In, if you got some, it, you might as well use it, right? Yeah, you don't. You would rather have the Polish power and not need it than need the Polish power and not have it. Absolutely. For this one, he's promising Polish magic. Somebody asked him what his game plan is for fighting Alex Pereira. His response, quote, I'm going to use Polish magic. Can you do that? I don't know if is it's that allowed. I mean, this fight is in Salt Lake City. So who knows what the Utah State Athletic Commission or lack thereof might sanction. But we would have to check. We would have to go to the rule book and see if there's an entry on Polish magic to yeah. find out if I that mean, shit is legal. I have it on good authority that they believe in at least some types of magic in Salt Lake City. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if the Polish variety is the kind that, that comes in there. But I mean, first of all. Setting aside the legality of Polish magic for the moment, if you plan to use magic in your bout, should you tell that to people beforehand? You are tipping your hand, or in this case, tipping your giant wizard hat a little bit <laughs> before you get in there. You might want to keep it secret until the until the time comes for you to pull the Polish magic out of your cloak. Yeah, I mean, because you go in there, you start abracadabbering, and the guy is like, I was prepared for this. He punches yeah. you right in the mouth before you can get the magic words out. You know, you're reaching behind his ear to pull a coin out and he just elbows you in the face because he knew this was coming. He knew the Polish magic was coming. Augsburg might bring his uh, Portuguese defense spells. He might, you know, he might cast one of those. And then what are you going to do? Yeah, that's man. Uh, Portuguese invisibility cloak could sure help you out in those t those moments. <laughs> Oh, it's a big man to make invisible out there in the cage. All right. <laughs> like I said, this is maybe the the thing I'm most excited about for this card. You know, you got a great co-main event. You got a great main event. I'm really interested to see Alex Pereira and how he can do in the light heavyweight division. But the rest of the card is interesting, too. And we will talk about that. 
coming up in round number three. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Ben, when you look at the main card of UFC 291, there are several what I might call remember me fights because we got some guys squaring off here that we haven't heard from in a minute. Michel Pereira makes his return. He's going to fight the Wonder Man, Stephen Thompson. Tony Ferguson on this card. He's going to fight Bobby Green. And then Michael Chiesa, who it feels like it's been a minute since we saw a fight, is going to be out there uh, taking on Kevin Holland in the curtain jerker of the pay-per-view portion of this event, not to mention Derek Lewis down here on the prelims and uh, some other people that have recognizable names on this on this fight card. Let's just talk about the, uh, the pay-per-view card here. Which one of these uh, Remember Me fights are you the most interested in? Which one lights your fire the most? Well, you know I'm a big Michael Chiesa guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm a yeah. fan just as a fighter and as a person. I like Michael Chiesa a lot. Never missed a chance to watch him fight. And him against Kevin Holland seems like an interesting matchup for a couple different reasons, really. Like, I'm really interesting, interested stylistically to see how that one plays out uh, and to, to see who gets the upper hand in that. Because I could see it going a lot of different ways, honestly. And uh, it's, I think that that should be, for as long as it lasts, an interesting, action-packed fight. Uh, and... One that I feel like I could feel reasonably good about watching, which I'm not sure I can say about Tony Ferguson <laughs> showing back up right after he like flipped his car on top of a car, allegedly while under the influence. And now here he is right away facing Bobby Green. Yeah, Tony Ferguson was a guy that we were already kind of worried about. And mm -hmm. then flipping your car on top of another car while allegedly intoxicated does not make us feel less worried about you. No, I will say that. So to show up and fight a guy in Bobby green, who is a tough out on anyone's best day is a little bit of a, of an interesting choice, I guess for Tony Ferguson, uh, especially given that he rolls into this one on a five fight losing streak. And the last time he won a fight was over Donald Cerrone in 2019. That was way back at UFC 238. Now the guys that he lost to over this stretch are very good. Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, Benil Dariush, Michael Chandler, Nate Diaz at UFC 279. But uh, Bobby Green, that's a tough man. That's a tough, tough man. And so it's an interesting 
uh, matchup here for Tony Ferguson, who right now is going off at plus 300. Yeah, I believe he is the biggest underdog, at least on the main card. I haven't looked at the entire card, but it does seem like maybe odds makers. I've seen how things have gone for Tony Ferguson, plus uh, the fact that when you're you're flipping cars upside down, it doesn't exactly scream super disciplined uh, training regimen of late. Uh, and they kind of went, okay, we can do the math on this one. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like we we've had this conversation with some fighters before where we're, and they were always kind of an eclectic personality. They were always eccentric and fun in that way, and we really enjoyed how zany they could be. We often also wondered, how will we know when it's problematic? How will we know when their zaniness is a warning sign rather than just a fun thing about them? And I kind of feel like Tony Ferguson's at that territory, especially where he's showing him to fight now, and I'm just like, I just hope to not see something terrible happen to Tony Ferguson. Any other result on top of that is is just gravy. As long as I don't have to be sad about Tony Ferguson, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, just Wonderboy Thompson against Michelle Pereira. Madness. Mm-hmm. That's just madness. You just put those guys out there and you're, what you're going to get is madness. Just madness. Uncontrolled madness. This feels like one of those fights where you could just take the the soundtrack from like an old 70s kung fu movie and just lay it on top of it and it will fit. You even keep the sound effects even it'll it'll end up just fitting more or less perfectly. They go, we're going to be doing some some wild ass kicks, maybe some flips. We'll be having some fun in this one, for sure. Is this fight in the first round of a tournament organized by an eclectic millionaire on his private island? I don't know what the first round. I think we're going to want to work up to this one, get a little character development going with these two guys. Um, but definitely, they they had to be blindfolded and brought here on a rowboat. You know, this is not just a, your your normal kind of fight where we both show up in the UFC van. You know, they had to they had to show an invitation to get here, show show a, a hand engraved invitation. Would you be surprised if I told you Michelle Pereira has won five fights in a row? Yes. Well, I'm I not mean, lying to you. <laughs> he has. He's won five fights in a row. He lost back-to-back fights. Do you remember when he lost to Tristan Connolly? When uh, they brought Tristan Connolly in as a very late replacement, and he out-wrestled uh, Michelle Pereira, won a unanimous decision, then he lost to Diego Sanchez by disqualification. So a couple of uh, maybe bad, bad beats. Beat. Yeah, yeah, bad beats for Michelle Pereira. But then he goes out and he beats uh, he beats five guys in a row, including Nico Price, Andre Fialo, and Santiago Ponzinibbio in his most recent appearance. Last one by split decision, so you know maybe a little bit of a coin flip. But uh, having perhaps not kept that close of tabs on Michelle Pereira lately, hence the remember me aspect of this fight, I am, I have to admit, surprised to find out he's won five in a row. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he deals with Stephen Thompson, who can be a puzzle for people, you know? It's uh, You see a lot of people get out there and right away just sort of dealing with his footwork, dealing with the way he manages range and his stance and everything, where it's tough to find a way through that, but also remember to do your stuff sometimes for people. You know, you get so caught up dealing with what he's doing. Uh, And Stephen Thompson, another guy who is no spring chicken, but you want to talk about a savvy vet. At yeah. this point, yeah. you talk about Stephen Thompson. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, what else here catches your eye? I guess Derek Lewis against Marcos uh, Rogerio de Lima. Down yeah, here I mean, hell prelim, yeah. Prelim card is is interesting. Uh, Derek Lewis, who has already retired from the sport a couple of times, he's one and four in his last five fights. He comes in on back-to-back losses to Tai Tuivasa, Sergey Pavlovich, and Sergey Spivak. The UFC did not have another Sergey to match him up against <laughs> here, so we're going with Marcos Rogerio de Lima, 38 years old, a guy who is uh, scary looking when you see him. He's just a scary looking dude. He looks like a uh, you know, he looks like he'd been be fighting in that uh, enigmatic millionaires tournament on the private island. Frankly, when you see this guy, he is uh, four and one in his last five with the loss to Blagoy Ivanov, another guy who is in that same tournament. Uh, but this is an interesting matchup. We don't totally know what to expect from Derek Lewis these days. I don't think he's plus one fifty five right now. Marcus Rogerio de Lima minus one eighty, and I, you know. I'm not used to seeing Derek Lewis on the prelims. That's that's I a know. new place as well. Yeah, I mean, it does feel like Derek Lewis has sort of uh, seen his stock dip a little bit lately. But then, I mean, when you do remember, like, okay, it looks bad when you lost four of the last five. But one was to Cyril Gaon for that interim title fight. Then he knocked out Chris Dacus. That tie to Ivasa won. We were throwing those bungalows and it really could have gone either way. It looked like it was on the verge of going either way with every single punch that was thrown in that one. So that'll happen. And then they're going to make you fight Sergei Pavlovich, who is just that boy good. That boy scary. And Sergei Spivak. Like, so those are some some tough-ass fights to line up for a 38-year-old Derek Lewis. It, uh, I think this is the one where you got to win this one to show some signs of life. You also might be called upon in this one to prove yet yet again that jujitsu doesn't work on you. So be advised on that. I, I mean, I, I, for one, am hoping for at least one takedown just so we can get the Derek Lewis look up at the ceiling, heave a sigh, and then just get up. Yeah. Oh, I'm hoping he's been drilling his just get up defense in, a, in an advance of this one. You don't uh, want to do it right away. You got to take a second. Take a second to sort of assess that, okay, I got taken down. I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up just like you're hitting the snooze button. Just kind of yeah. like, I'm, I'm going to get up here in 30 seconds. I'm going to get up just not right now. Yeah. Any second now, I'm going to spring back into action, but I'm just going <laughs> to just gonna take a beat here. Get up when I am good and ready. All right. Let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we can uh, wrap it up for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff this week? Well, Chad... We mentioned this, didn't really talk too much about it, but that uh, Molly McCann went in there as a big favorite against Stoliarenko in the co-main event in London and then got submitted with an arm bar in the first round. She's announced afterwards that she she's figured out what went wrong. Quote, we have one more adjustment to make, and I believe that will make all the difference in the world. She wrote on Instagram, the smallest in the division makes it tough when the opponents are so much bigger. So for me, it's time to drop down and face the girls who are the same size. So that's Molly McCann saying no more flyweight. She's going down to straw weight. I guess I'm just saying, is that why she lost this fight though? Cause I didn't actually exactly see her getting like bullied around the cage by someone bigger, you know? Didn't seem like that was really what was happening. Seemed like she got caught in that arm bar, couldn't defend it in time, and then it was over. I'm just saying, is that what happened here? Is this the fighter's false friend? 
We got to tell ourselves something went wrong. And sure, I could tell her she she could look at some of the other fighters in this division. I could see how you'd reach that conclusion. But in this fight, is that what happened? Is this the solution? Is this the one last adjustment to make? I'm just saying. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a very Conor McGregor thing to say after a loss to say, well, I've identified the one flaw in my game and I'm going to go, we're going to close it up and then smooth sailing from then on out. We've, we've identified the, the problem and we're going to fix it. The only problem. Yes. Just saying. Uh, I saw a tweet this week from uh, Luca Fury, who's a guy that I generally like as an MMA analyst out there. He posted one this week that said, if you weren't around for the two th- 2015 Ronda Rousey hype train, you missed the greatest time in MMA history for unintentional comedy. The pure unadulterated delusion among fans, medias, and analysts was beyond absurd. Never seen anything like it in 20 years watching MMA lunacy. Uh, everyday MMA websites and major TV sports shows were flooding with experts shouting absolute fantasies like how Ronda Rousey had quote pro level boxing and was once and was a once in human history type of special person. And most hilarious of that, that she would beat several, uh, UFC male champions. Now he's not wrong. And there are some, some thoughtful replies to this, uh, these tweets because, one thing you need to be able to do in this sport is look back and laugh, right? It's, it's important to be able to look back and identify the goofy ass shit that was going on in the past and, and uh, chuckle over it and hopefully learn from it. Uh, I would just say one thing. Well, two things, actually. Number one, Ronda Rousey was incredibly dominant. In fact, in all of her initial both strike force and UFC fights. She was incredibly dominant until she ran up against Holly Holm and then Amanda Nunes, who turned out to be pretty darn good. Uh, now all of the talk about whether Ronda would beat a male champion or would beat Floyd Mayweather, which I believe was floated at one time. That is fucking lunacy admitted. But the other thing I would just say, and I'm not even necessarily disagreeing with Luca's point here, is that I have never seen the MMA world take more glee in someone's loss than they did after Ronda Rousey got kicked in the head by Holly Holm. And I don't totally know what to attribute that to, except that Ronda Rousey in some ways portrayed herself as a heelish figure, as a, a, in some ways, unlikable personality, uh, as a way to market herself. She was definitely seen as the UFC's chosen one to be, the big star and the person in that division. Uh, She essentially ushered in the world of women's MMA that we now know in the UFC. And so I think overall, you got to admit, she probably had a positive effect on the product and the world at large of mixed martial arts. Uh, But the, 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 and I was never a big Ronda fan, honestly, but the unbelievable outpouring of glee when she lost to Holly Holm and she didn't handle it that well. But just like how fucking excited everyone was to crap all over Ronda Rousey is one of the most surprising, I would say ugliest, but we see ugly shit in this sport every week. Uh, But it was one of the most kind of like surprising and affecting moments that I can remember in this sport because it was like we were all poised to pull the rug out from under her. And when it happened, we fucking loved it so much that it, it launched a thousand memes. I'm just saying, I'm merely saying. Just saying. Also, 
worth pointing out that even if people got a little carried away talking about what they thought physically Ronda Rousey was capable of in uh, a series of hypothetical fistfights, worth noting that she was very much a transformative figure for the sport as a whole, and especially for women's MMA, because pre-Ronda Rousey, Dana White said never ever in a million years after Ronda Rousey, it's a staple of basically every UFC fight card. Yeah. Just saying. So, yeah, it's 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 important to be able to lampoon a lot about this sport because a lot of it is ridiculous, but let's not get so carried away that we overlook uh, how dominant she was over a certain period of time and how much she accomplished for everyone in this sport. Just saying. And I'm saying that as a person who doesn't even necessarily like Ronda Rousey that much. All right, that is going to do it for the co-main event podcast this week. We will be back next week with another episode of The Proper. And, of course, we are on Patreon all week again this week. Head over there, patreon.com slash co-main event, and join us behind the paywall. We can almost guarantee that you won't regret it. And, in fact, coming up right now uh, for our $20 patrons, we're going to talk about the big homie Paul Craig becoming a slightly smaller homie and going out there and winning his debut in the middleweight division at this UFC fight night on Saturday night. Stay tuned for that if you're a $20 patron. If you are not, we will see y'all next week. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. I think we can all admit at this point that we did not think Paul Craig's middleweight debut was going to go quite this well for Paul Craig, did we? No. No, we did not. This is a guy. Yeah, go ahead. You, much like the conversation we were just having about Molly McCann, you asked the question, was size really the problem for Paul Craig at light heavyweight? But then he showed up here, and he looked like he was able to put that size to some pretty good use at times. Yeah, I mean, he was not a small light heavyweight. He was also not a rel- you know, he was not a very bad light heavyweight. He had won four fights in a row in uh, 2020 to 2022 before he lost the back-to-back fights to Secret of the Ooze, Wilkin Uzdemir, and Johnny Walker. And then he shows up at middleweight. I really thought that the weight cut was going to be tougher for Paul Craig, and I really didn't know how he would perform in the wake of that weight cut. Now, we only got a little shy at 10 